Thank you. And uh, to get situated, uh, you know, I also we have some other um, family announcements. And so, it's, hey, we've got those fans working. Does that help at all? So some of you guys, okay. After Carrie's testimony, you're not going to complain about the heat ever again. So, no, no. So, anyway, we get to recognize great things like engagements, and sometimes we recognize when uh, and acknowledge when things do not go well or things go well. But it's always just great to be able to gather people together. Before before I make certain announcements, I always want to make sure both people are here, and I also want to make sure it's okay in a, in a clear to make. And so I got their approval, and that is... Jessica, Jess, Jeffrey, and Jessica Cunningham are expecting their first child. So, anyway, isn't this awesome? Dude? So, it's exciting. So, uh, we're happy for them. And uh, for those of you who don't know, they relocated here from San Diego. And uh, speech therapist, if I get that right, Jessica, speech therapist, working uh, with with some very fortunate children. I get to uh, blessed to be around you and and, and people. And then. Uh, Jeffrey was a rescue swimmer in the Navy, and so he's here and currently still serving. In the, he's there for 12 years and now still serving in the, in, the, in the Navy reserves now. And so God just led them back, and we're just real blessed you're here, and we get another one of you. So this is going to be really awesome. It's like, uh, man, this kid's going to be beautiful, you know? If that kid doesn't pop out of 10, you're like, let it go back in there and bake a little bit longer, man, because this kid should be a good-looking kid. So anyway, we're just excited. I know Peter and Juliet are excited. So uh, you get a, you get you get more company with that, right? So, Caitlin, we're counting down, aren't you? Yeah, you're counting down. People kind of stand away from you when you start drinking coffee, as big as you're showing lately. But uh, we're we're excited for you. And so, anyway, well, we are a family, a family that uh, um, that experiences the joys together. We experience we experience um, the, the the depths of sorrow together. We experience a lot of things. Uh, together and there's just times when you just you you stop for a moment to acknowledge what God has done, what acknowledge what God is doing. And there were moments when we prayed and we prayed, and there are embarrassing times that we didn't believe things could be done like we're going to do. And we thought we'll take Carrie back in any condition possible. We had no idea he'd bring back a preaching Carrie ready to go and uh it's not sounded the same since the banjo is not up here you know you'll be back i did nothing not one of us in here doubts that for sure and so would you guys just give a welcome to our own sarah and sarah and carrie anderson come on up i'm going to move this chair because i'm kind of klutzy no, it's okay. I'm just going to pull it back. Um, yes, sir. I'm used to him telling me what to do. Today shouldn't be any different. Um, okay, hang on a second. There we go. So good morning. You know, there are almost as many people in the first service, surprisingly. <coughs> um, so we want to tell you a story about Carrie's accident and God's hand in his life during his accident and afterwards. Um, but I want to um, tell you that neither of us wants you to feel badly for Carrie. He had a bad accident. Lots of people do. Lots of people have tragedies. Um, but this is a story about how God's working in his life. But before I start that, we want to acknowledge that there are lots of you guys in here who have hardship, 
way worse than what we have experienced. Um, you have ill family members. You have spouses that have died. Um, Matt, we understand um, you have an unspeakable loss you have to endure. And we don't want to rub salt in anybody's wound by saying, ha ha, God, you know, fixed carry. Because that's not what we're doing. It's just about God's mercy and God's grace. And, and we don't understand why God has chosen to keep Carrie alive. Um, as Shale pointed out, God's ways are higher than ours and his thoughts are higher than ours. And we're grateful that God has saved Carrie. And we don't know why he doesn't do something else. But we know that he's, he's working in each one of our lives. And for whatever reason, he is, he's chosen to work this way. Um, so my, uh, my explanation about how God has worked is that he's dragging the pasture of our lives. So I explained this in the first service, much to my mother's chagrin, because um, she wants me to be proper. And that just has never worked in all my life. Sorry, Mom, she sent me to charm school. That was an epic fail as well. Um, but at any rate, um, fail for my sister, too. She's just not here, so I was going to leave her out. Um, so dragging the pastures. So we have a couple of acres, and we have a few head of cattle and some sheep and a mule. Um, and they leave all these lovely presents in the pasture. And... So if you leave them there, they'll destroy the the pasture because they will destroy the ground underneath and it dies. And then they breed bacteria because flies get in and they lay their eggs and it causes diseases for the animals and it's it's just a bad situation. So you take a chain link fence or we take a chain link fence. There's probably some fancy hoity-toity way to do it, but we don't have that much money. So we take chain link and we put uh, concrete blocks on it and then drag it behind the tractor or behind the four-wheeler over all the refuse and it breaks it up and spreads it around and then when it rains um, it fertilizes the grass and it makes the pastures better it keeps disease from spreading and and makes everything healthier and so that's what I think that God is doing in our lives he's dragging the pastures getting rid of all the junk that shouldn't be there and that we don't want there and he doesn't want there that doesn't honor him and he's making us into something beautiful. Um, so anyway, that's what I think he's doing. Um, from, from the beginning of everything, we know that God is sovereign. I mean, he's in control. Nothing happens that isn't filtered through his fingers, and we're well aware of that. Um, we are going to go to Mount Dora uh, on this particular occasion because... Well, we like Mount Dora, and we had ridden to Mount Dora before, and this was not an unusual ride for us. Um, but this particular day, we were going to go to Mount Dora uh, because we were going to distract my mother. The idea was to keep my mom from thinking about my mom and dad's anniversary since my dad had decided to move to heaven. And so um, we went with Andy and Tree, my sister and brother-in-law. We went with um, Ray and Chaney, our our good friends, and my mom was following in the car. We, um, before we went, before we ever left, um, I think God was already orchestrating things. We always pray before we ride our motorcycles. We pray and ask that God would keep us safe, that we would honor him in our lives with what we do during the day, and that um, it wouldn't be about us, it would be about him. 
and we did that this day. And Carrie asked me if I wanted to lead. He knows that I like to lead all the boys on their motorcycles since I'm the only girl who rides. And, but I felt uncomfortable, uncomfortable is a little strong, unsettled about something. I didn't know what. It wasn't about riding. I just didn't feel at ease. So I said, no, I don't want to ride. And Andy later told me that he had felt ill at ease that morning as well. So I said, no, I don't want to ride. And so we prayed. We left. And, you know, we have our intercoms so that we can talk to each other and warn each other of the people who are not driving as we think they should and might pull out in front of us or stuff that's in the road that's going to trip you up. And um, Carrie wears his high visibility gear so that he's, you know, noticeable. And so we, (laughs) Bob, that's not nice. So we're going along. We got up right about five minutes before we got to where the accident occurred. Carrie asked me again in my intercom, do you, you want to lead? And I'm, no, no, go ahead. You can, you can lead. And so we approached uh, 301 in Trilby, which is north of Dade City. And um, we had north and south, and we were going north, had uh, flashing yellow lights, and east-west had uh, two flashing red lights. So we slowed down a little bit. We were going about 55, which was the speed limit, and we slowed down to about 50 because it was a caution light. And just before Carrie went into the intersection, um, a car, a minivan driven by somebody from Georgia who was talking on her phone, um, came up from the west going east and never stopped, never looked south, never anything, just kind of slowed a little bit and just came straight through the intersection. Um, and Carrie tried to stop, but it was too close. We couldn't, so he just slammed into the side of the minivan. Um, and, you know, God was involved in that, because had that been me, it would have certainly killed me. Um, it, uh, it should have killed him, but it certainly would have killed me. Um, and, and so immediately after the accident, Tree started, Teresa, um, started texting uh, everybody um, and trying to get all the prayer warriors on board. Um, Mom was uh, calling 911. I think Tree did. Somebody else probably did as well. And uh, Mom was praying. Mom was in the middle of 301, stopping traffic, um, which is no surprise. And um, so Andy and uh, Andy and Ray lifted the motorcycle off, off of Ken- Carrie because it had landed on him after he hit the van, the motorcycle hit him, then somehow landed on top of him. And so they li- lifted off of him, and then uh, Andy and I started tending to carry until EMS arrived. So God had his hand in all of that. Who was leading the pack? Everything. Um, EMS came. They wanted to, and, and I told them that I wanted him to be flown to um, the trauma center. And, and, and they agreed. So we didn't have to argue then. We waited. And um, they wanted to fly him, though, to another hospital. And I said, no, I, I want him to go to Lakeland Regional. I said, well, this other hospital's closer. And I want him to go to Lakeland Regional. And we kind of went back and forth a little. I finally said, okay, fine. You guys want to take him wherever you want to take him. You're the, you're the flight team. I'll, I'll give in. And so when they got him in the helicopter, he, um, he deteriorated. So they ended up taking him to Lakeland Regional, which I think was a far superior facility. So, I, you know, I think God had his hand in that as well. 
Uh, from the beginning, it didn't look good for Carrie with his injuries, though. Uh, um, I want to quickly highlight those, not so that you think about Carrie and the whole of his injuries, and they're numerous, but so that you will see from a human perspective, he should have been dead on more than one occasion, and that it was impossible from a human perspective for him to survive and that the only reason he is here today is because of God's grace and mercy. So he had 40 fractures. He had 11 rib fractures on the right, and five of them were broken in at least three places, which is what's called a flail chest, which is a life-threatening emergency in its, on its own because of the instability of the chest wall. Uh, he had five rib fractures on the left, four vertebral fractures. You said three earlier. It's four. Um, uh, right thumb fracture, left hand was squashed and crushed. Uh, right tibia fracture, right scapular fracture, right acral, which causes instability. Torn rotator cuff. He developed ARDS, which is acute respiratory um, distress syndrome, and uh, it's refractory to oxygen and ventilation. So no matter what you do, it doesn't work. Your lungs just want to stick together. The mortality rate of that is about 46% in severe cases, which his was. He developed atrial fibrillation where your heart freaks out and he had to be shocked. Uh, liver laceration, which had to be prepared, repaired. Kidney failure had to be on dialysis. His GI system shut down. He had pneumonia on s- more than one occasion. And the mortality rate of that when you are hospitalized and have hospital-acquired pneumonia when you're on a vent is 70%. And he had it more than once, so he's dead more than one time already, um, statistically. He developed blood clots. He had torn ligaments. He was severely anemic, got about 40 units of blood. He would be on a ventilator about 45 days, and it was about five weeks before his trauma surgeons thought he would actually survive. Um, From the beginning, God provided, though. He provided with prayers from the moment the accident happened. He provided a place for Shale's parents were out of town, barely knew Shale, um, didn't know his parents, have no idea what they look like still, but they have a really great house. And they offered to let us stay there, and so they were out of town, so we just kind of took over their house for a week. I'm not sure if we ever gave back one of their towels that I swiped. Um, But uh, then after they came home, uh, Shale's parents have friends that house that's right across from Florida Southern, and they said, well, you know, it's not rented. Sure, you can stay there. And Shale's parents were gracious enough to pay for that for us. So we had a great place to stay the first week and then a great place to stay the, set, the next month or two. I'm not sure what it was. Um, people stayed at the hospital with us. They came to visit. You guys gave money to us, gift cards to us. You prayed for us continuously. Um, my brother-in-law, Andy, was running our little farm operation for us. and I mean, all of you guys wanted to help, and more people than I know, and we really appreciate that. Um, there was a need to know that God was really there. Um, I mean, I know all the Bible verses. I was blessed to be brought up in a Christian home. I can recite all those things I'm supposed to know and believe, but it got difficult. Um, I, I, you know, I'd like to say that I knew that and was confident that God was going to save Carrie. No, I wasn't. I knew that he could. 
that is not a question in my mind. I know God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, as Ephesians tells us, but I didn't know that that was his choice. And I didn't want anybody to tell me it was God's choice because I didn't think they'd communicated with God any more clearly than I had. And it really kind of hacked me off when people would say, well, Carrie's going to be fine. And I, you don't know that. Don't tell me that. Um, so I, I desperately needed to know, though, that God was there. And one night, particularly at the end of my wits and my ability to deal with the situation, that's kind of why it was a problem to begin with, because I was trying to rely on my ability. And I was just begging God to, please show me that you're really here. Show me. I know this isn't all hogwash. I'm being really way too honest. I know this isn't hogwash, but it just really feels like it right now. So please just show me that you're really here and the truth. And I got such an I'm really logical, guys. I'm not emotionally driven, so if you think this is just my emotion when I'm going to tell you this, you're wrong, because this is fact. 100% fact this happened. Um, I All of a sudden, I developed this overwhelming um, sense of peace, and I looked around the room, and 100% God just took off those human scales from my eyes that keep us from seeing what's really going on around us, And I looked around Carrie's room as I'm standing there with my left hand on Carrie while he's lying in the ICU. I looked around and on every single wall in that room, I could see angels standing two and three deep. 100% they were there. 100% I saw them. I realized nobody else when they would walk into the room would see them. That doesn't change that they were there. They were there and God just briefly gave me that opportunity to see them. So I would have that reassurance. And then I realized that Jesus was standing. I just knew it was Jesus standing next to me. And I could see his hand, his Jesus's left hand, touching Carrie. And it was just the most incredible thing, which I know sounds weird. And I, I, I don't believe all those books where people say they die and go to heaven. So I don't believe all those. And um, and come back. I believe they go to heaven. I just don't think they come back and tell me about it. But, uh, you know, so I know it sounds weird, but it really happened. God really unveiled my eyes so that I could see and know that, yes, he was right there with Carrie. And that Jesus, not just didn't send his angels, but he was standing there right there with his hand on Carrie. Um, so it was amazing. Well, newsflash, I'm not worthy of having Jesus put his hand on me. Um, Sarah does a great impression of my walk. We call it the drunk penguin. So if anybody wants to learn how to do the carry walk, Sarah can teach you. Um, I'm trying to lighten the mood a little bit. I don't want you all to be uh, sad about me. I'm fine now. Um, but it is going to be necessary for me to take you back to some really bad situations so you realize what I was going through when I called out to Jesus and he answered me, and I'm going to tell you how that happened. All right, Sarah's are, it's, by the way, 
uh, Sarah's very humble. She's a nurse practitioner, uh, and her her background is emergency medicine and trauma. So she she knows too much. That's why she was so worried. She was like, "He's got all of this stuff. You don't survive that." And so she knew firsthand from being a trauma nurse practitioner, this was this was bad. In fact, this was not really what people's how. It, these injuries are too bad for a person to survive. And so that's why she asked God to reveal himself, and he did. All right, uh, the first slide, yeah, power of prayer. Um, and and Ari, as I speak, Ariel's going to put uh, different slides on so you always know what the point of what I'm trying to convey is. Um, Sarah told you that I should have been dead because of the injuries I sustained, which is true. Uh, I have a different perspective. I should also be dead because of the G-forces that my body took. Um, I practiced uh, law for 27 years, recently retired from that profession, but I, uh, I was a trial lawyer handling injury cases. So I have handled every type of trauma to a body you can imagine, and including in that is motorcycle cases. Handled a lot of motorcycle cases, tried, took some to jury trial, settled most of them because they're usually pretty bad. But I learned a couple of things. I, I learned to patterns. Uh, fortunately, most people survive a motorcycle accident. Fortunately, they're they're mostly they're usually not fatal, unless you have the kind that I had. And I'll tell you about that. If you have the the angle of impact, which is 90 degrees, I hit a brick wall basically, and went from 50 miles per hour to zero. If a human body does that. The g-forces that are exerted, asserted on the human body to bring it from 50 to zero and that quickly, are more than a human body can withstand. And I know that because I've handled those cases. And in the in the cases that I've handled, which had the speed and the impact that I did, zero people survived. And that's over my 27-year career. So I believe that God was busy and working and answering your prayers, thank you, and answering my family's prayers. They were at the scene praying. Uh, I believe that God answered those prayers and for some reason chose to save me. I don't know why he saved me and he didn't save others uh, in, in this congregation. There was a tragedy in this very congregation when I was in the hospital. I don't know why he saved me, but I am convinced that he did because I know that I had too many G-forces on my body to survive. And Sarah knows that I had injuries that you don't recover from. All right, uh, next slide, uh, Ariel, of the, of the vehicle. This one's kind of disturbing for me to look at, so I'm not going to. That's a six-foot-three-inch impression of my body in the side of the car. Um, I went from 50 to zero, and who knows what but fraction of a second um and and that's not my bike uh that caused that that's my body and i know that because those at the scene told me how the accident happened although i have no memory of it um i'm guessing my legs <laughs> you kind of see some impression from some legs there but um yep 40 fractures uh it it all my internal organs uh, were shutting down and i shouldn't be here 
Um, but I am. I'm standing before you telling you about it. Why? Because I'm big and tough. No. I'm not big and tough. <laughs> Our bodies can't take that. I'm standing here before you because for some reason God chose to answer prayers and I guess he's got something for me to do. And I'll tell you more about that later. Um, I woke up about six weeks later. The accident happened in March. I woke up in May. Um, I remember um, Sarah's face right over me. I was in ICU. Oh, hi, Jim. <laughs> I'm going to tell something about Jim and Natalie in a minute. Um, I remember seeing Sarah's face, and, and, and she was telling me something about a devastating motor, motorcycle accident. And I thought, well, okay, that's fine, but I'll, I'll get up, and I want to get out of here. So I tried to move. I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. couldn't communicate. And I was in terrible pain. But I had three clear thoughts. Number one... I'm so glad I'm saved. I, I never, you know, I just was a guy minding his own business going for a motorcycle ride. And the next thing I know, it's six weeks later, and my wife's telling me that I sh should be dead. The second thought I had was very clear. Everybody should get saved now. This could, ha this could be them. I mean, it could happen to anybody. And, I, and I'll, sh I'll show you. And we took all the precautions we took, and it still happened. So everybody should get saved now before they end up like me. And the third thought that I had very clearly was only love matters. Remember Jesus said, love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And every other thought was not clear at all. Those three stood out to me. I'd like to talk about uh, get saved now. I thought I could do everything that the motorcycle class taught me and everything my experience in riding motorcycles taught me, and that goes back to when I was nine years old. I got my first mini bike. Um, I was a good rider. I had quick reflexes. I had never, <laughs> ever had a scratch riding dirt bikes for most of my life and street bikes uh, the last couple of years. I don't ride anymore, and I don't recommend... Uh, yeah, I, I just don't recommend riding a street bike. It, it's too dangerous out there. So we don't do that anymore. But Ariel, if you can show the next slide, um, that's me, Big Bird. My wife called me. Big Bird, for those of you who are old enough to remember Sesame Street, is a big, tall, yellow bird. And uh, I always wore that uh, high-vis vest. I always wore the high-vis helmet. You can see on the helmet a little thing with an antenna. That's our, our intercom. Uh, everybody in the group had, had one, and we would warn each other of something in the road or a car that looked like it might pull out or something like that. That wasn't good enough. I, I don't know what else we could do. Um, I'm told that you know, Sarah and, and those who were at the scene um, that the car just came right out. My brother-in-law, Andy Love, who was at the first um, first service, uh, said the car went right out in front of me about 25 feet. I locked up the bike, laid it down, but there was nothing that could be done. So the point is, 
we can try to take precautions and try to protect ourselves and wear our seatbelt when we leave church today, pull out on Dale Mabry or Fletcher. We can't guarantee our safety. So that's why that thought was so clear in my head. If you're not already saved, and by that I mean if you haven't already asked Jesus to come into your heart and be your personal Lord and Savior, do so, please. Do so today before you get in your car and go home. I hope you guys never experience what I did, but you could. We, we can't protect ourselves completely. The only way we can protect ourselves is by asking Jesus to come into our heart. Then we, sure our, we ensure our protection, not on this earth, but we ensure our eternal destiny. All right, uh, the next slide uh, I'd like to talk to you about is I call God is alive, active, and on the throne right now. And boy, he is. You know, you hear all your life, God is an act, he's, he's on the throne. He's active in our lives, but we don't feel it. Um, I didn't, at least. Life was pretty good for me. Things were going well. I had a good career as a trial attorney, a, a great wife, kids. But uh, that all got turned upside down. And when that happened, I actually experienced God alive, active, and on the throne. Um, let me take you to uh, let me take you to the accident scene real quickly. No, not YouTube. Hello. I'm not going to watch YouTube right now. That'd be inappropriate. My notes. There we go. Yeah. All right. Um, I believe that God was active at the accident scene. I've already told you that the G-forces that my body uh, went through were more than a human body can survive. And here I am. Um, I was riding a 700-pound motorcycle that ended up on top of me with the engine running, a hot engine, and spilling gasoline on me. I could do nothing to get myself out of that situation. Fortunately, we were riding with two strong guys, my brother-in-law Andy and our friend Ray. Ray and they, those two guys ran up to me, pulled the motorcycle off of me. I was conscious at the scene, by the way the motorcycle off of me and before it could ignite the gasoline um, I couldn't breathe even with the motorcycle off of me um, I'd hit the vehicle so hard that my body immediately started swelling the whole right side is where what I hit and it immediately started swelling and, and my chin strap on my helmet was choking me so either Sarah or Andy took the chin strap off and solved that problem but I was still in grave danger because my lung had collapsed because <laughs> I had at least one rib poking through it and I still couldn't breathe even though the chin strap was off to make matters worse and, and I tell you this not to feel sorry for me please don't I'm fine now I breathe fine but I should have died six different ways in the first three minutes. Sarah will tell you that you know I had about three minutes to live with no oxygen. 
And I believe God was there going, okay, no, we're not going to let, no, we're going to get rid of that. No, we're going to get rid of that. He's not going to die. And so to make matters worse, 911 was on the phone telling Sarah, don't move him. Just leave him right where he is. We're going to send an ambulance. Everything's going to be fine. And Sarah said, when the ambulance gets here, he's going to be dead. So she disregarded what they said. And she moved me anyway, and she cleared my airway and got me breathing again. I don't know how you did that with a punctured lung, but she did. So thank goodness I have a wife uh, with um, all that experience in emergency medicine. She also told 911, send a helicopter. He needs a helicopter, not an ambulance. And they did. All right. So, so those are the reasons why I think God was active at the scene. Prayers were going out immediately. I should have died six different ways in the first three minutes, and I didn't. Six weeks later, I wake up and had those clear thoughts. All right. When I woke up, I was in ICU. It's not a good place to be. Uh, if you're in ICU, that's because uh, you're on the edge of life and death, which I was for, what, five weeks, Sarah? Uh, after five weeks, the trauma surgeon said, ah, it looks like he's going to live. Um, so when I woke up, uh, I couldn't talk, but I could communicate a little bit, and I managed to communicate, you know, turn me on my left side. So they did, and I'm like, no, turn me on my right side. And they did. And I said, no, turn me back on my back. Because everywhere I turned, I was lying on broken bones. And I asked them, I said, need some more medication. And they said, no, we can't do that. You're you're maxed out on narcotics. We, we just can't do that for another 1.5 hours. And so I realized uh, I was in... Uh, I was in a bad situation. I couldn't stay still because I was in pain. And, and when you're in that much pain, I don't know, I hope nobody's experienced this, you actually, you don't stay still. You just constantly try to alleviate it. They call it writhing. And um, I couldn't sleep. I was out of options, so I did what probably everybody in this room would do in the same situation. I called out to Jesus. And I said, Jesus, please take my pain away. And before, Jesus, please take my pain away. It takes a couple seconds. Before I finish that sentence, he didn't take it away. But he reduced the pain to something that was tolerable. I repeated that prayer probably 30 times uh, when I was in the hospital. Because many times I was in pain and they couldn't give me more narcotics and they'd say oh, you only have an hour to go this time and so I would say the prayer again and every time probably 30 every time I said that prayer before I got to the end of the, the short sentence he would reduce it he never took it away but he always reduced it um, to something that was tolerable The next slide I call claustrophobia, pain, ventilator, and an angel. Um, I couldn't breathe from 
March 23rd until May 8th. I couldn't breathe on my own. I had to have a machine uh, helping me breathe. And it's funny that uh, one of the words was uh, one of the songs that Ben sung. Did a great job, by the way, Ben. Um, it's your, it's your breath and my lungs, right? Um, yeah, my lungs couldn't breathe for over a month, and uh, it's funny that we sang that song because it truly was God uh, keeping me li- alive and a ventilator. But the ventilator was uh, very uncomfortable. My lungs had collapsed, and when they collapse, they stick together. Sarah told you it's called ARDS, a very, very dangerous situation. So the doctor said, well, we're not going to let those lungs collapse anymore because they're going to stick together. So they, the ventilator kept pushing air into my lungs, keeping them quite inflated, and I couldn't exhale. And the only way I could breathe is like the top five percent of my or ten percent of my lungs so every breath was like a gasp so that wasn't very fun um and running out of pain medication didn't make it any better um and so one evening uh i i just couldn't sleep i had not slept for several days and that causes its own problem um one evening I prayed to Jesus by name and said, Jesus, would you please send an angel to comfort me so that I could get some sleep tonight? Um, and, and the main problem was the ventilator. I just I was gasping for breath and I couldn't go to sleep. Nothing happened immediately. And I, I somehow went to sleep anyway. But I awoke uh, because there was this big hand and and the only way i can destru- describe it is a big masculine hand i, I knew it was it, it wasn't feminine at all it was a big masculine strong hand on my left ankle and i woke up to see what what man was holding my ankle um and i i stared at my left ankle and i could still feel that i could still feel that hand just as if shale was holding my ankle right now i could feel it and i was staring at it but i could not see anything i believe it was an angel i believe it was an answered prayer and i thanked god for answering my prayer i got immediate sense of relief and i went back to sleep i was awakened again sometime in the middle of the night by this big strong hand on my right ankle same thing i woke up to see who was holding my right ankle and i stared at my right ankle and i could not see anything but the whole time I stared, I could feel that hand on my ankle. Once again, I got an immediate sense of peace, and I thanked God for answering my prayer, calming me down. I went back to sleep, even though I was gasping for air on the ventilator. I've got one more experience to share with you. This one is the strangest, and I started not to share it, but... I'm not going to keep quiet. If I have if I have what I believe was a real encounter, Matt, give me a thumbs up. You've been there, my brother. You've been through the valley of the shadow of death. And I hope you guys never go through what Matt and, and I have been through, different situations, but we've been in the valley of the shadow of death. And if you're there, you realize you can do nothing for yourself. you got nothing. And your only hope is Jesus. And I hope it doesn't take 
you being there to realize that. But I was there again <laughs> in ICU. I was having, a, a, you know, the same situation. They said, listen, we're sorry. We And, and by that time, I could kind of talk a little bit and uh, and I could reach with my hands and I made it known that I need some medication stat and they're like we're, we're sorry we, we can't you're maxed out on meds we we just can't do that anymore and um, my brother-in-law Rick Smith Rick goes to Idlewild he's the only Smith sibling that doesn't go here but he's Sarah and Teresa and Brett's brother he was staying with me that night and um, he called the nurse and said, "You got to, you got to do something for this guy. He's, you know, he's doing his dance back and forth again, and he's he's not sleeping." And um, she was saying, "I there's nothing I can do. He's maxed out on medication." Um. So, I'm not proud of this, but I'm going to share it anyway. I called out to God and said, "God, I'm done. I can't take this anymore." I got no fight left in me. I can't take this pain. They won't give me any medication. I'm done. And was I angry? Yes, I was angry. And so I immediately started rising up to the ceiling. That scared me. I reached out for Rick's uh, arm and grabbed it because I thought I was floating up off the bed. He said, uh, later, he said, no, I didn't notice anything other than you grabbing my but I really did think I was like I got to hold myself down and and I cried out to God a second time and said God I'm sorry I do not want to die I do not want to die what I should have asked you and and my prayer is would you please reduce my pain once again before I got through that sentence he reduced my pain and my anxiety from gasping on the on the ventilator and I stopped this time I'm right at the ceiling and I went down just as slowly as I went I went up, just slowly back to my body. Again, I asked Rick, hey, did you see me go up and down? He's like, no, I didn't. But I had that experience. I don't know what God, I don't know what it means. I don't know what God was trying to tell me. I suspect he might have been chastising me a little bit for wanting to throw in the towel and not believing that he could get me through it. But I don't know. Like I say, I started not to share that, but because uh, it's strange. But I wanted to share it anyway because it happened. All right, I I need to wrap this up. Uh, my other thoughts: I was lying there, and my thought was, "Don't store up treasures on earth." I mean, I came very, very close to standing before Jesus and Him asking me what I'd done in my life. And I thought, well, how would I answer that? I could have told him, well, I tried some really neat jury trials. Jesus, you want to hear about that? And Hey, I won a lot more jury trials than I lost. I, he wouldn't have been impressed with that. I think he, he would have said, okay, so you, you, you had a career, made a living. But what did, what, would you, what did you do for my glory? And so that has caused me to kind of refocus myself and... and and reprioritize how I use my time. We all need to make a living and to have a career. But that being your main focus, I, I believe, is not what we're here for. I believe we're here 
to live for the glory of God. And I haven't done that to my satisfaction yet. All right, my last point, and then I'll close. Is that all right? Okay, I'm, uh, once again, I'm running over. I know. Um, I left this out in the, in the morning session, but I don't want to leave it out. Pride. Um, I have some pride. I don't have as much as I did. Um, I used to tell Sarah, I'm smart. I can figure this out whenever we needed to figure out something. And she would tell me, don't rely on yourself. Rely on Jesus. I was also uh, blessed with above average strength. And uh, even as a, a teenager all the way up. And I would rely on that uh, to uh, lift things. Uh, I, I loved working out. Uh, working on, uh, I'd work on our farm by ourselves, manhandle the equipment on the tractor. But you know what? I have just a fraction of the strength now. I, I asked my wife to undo water bottles because I'm not strong enough to get the cap off. I open the refrigerator and get a plate of food. How much does that weigh? Not much. And then I drop it all over the floor because I'm not strong enough to hold on a plate of food. Um, so it's caused me to realize, you know, you could have these things today. You could have your mind and your strength and not have it tomorrow. They come. They can go. The only thing that is, uh, that doesn't change is Jesus. In sum, that's what you wanted to hear. In sum, I don't know why God saved me and not others. God brought me back from the edge of death for a reason. Lying in that hospital bed, I resolved to live my remaining time on earth for his glory. If you're not already saved, get saved now. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you may have eternal life. Confess your sins to Jesus and ask him to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. You can plan out everything in your life. You can try to be safe. You can, now this isn't, you know, an analogy. You can wear the high vis. You can be cautious. Always wear your seatbelt. But unfortunately, any one of us can be hit by someone running a red light on the way home from church today. Don't wait until you wake up in ICU or you wake up standing in front of Jesus before you ask Him to come into your heart and be your personal Lord and Savior. For some reason, God brought me back from the brink of death. My doctors called it a miracle, and it was. Maybe God brought me back so I could share my story with you. Maybe He brought me back so that I could cause someone to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior for the first time or cause someone to rededicate their life to Christ after they've become complacent in their faith. Please don't let what happened to me happen to you before you ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your personal Lord and Savior.
You know, I remember the week before the accident, our biggest mission was to go find more chickens. We, were, we took a tour at a chicken farm and uh, right after church. We left here and, uh, and we went down and we're, we're exploring how many more chickens you guys are going to get. And, and who would have thought um, the next week, remember in, uh, Shale, you and I drove together, as best I can recollect, right, to the hospital. And we got there and, and when one of you are hurt, there's something about a minister that um, we just want to be there quickly. And yet at the same time I got there and I was okay in the waiting room. But I knew you were in the next room, and surprisingly, they were letting visitors go back there. It blew my mind. And I was just delaying. I was stalling. And finally, Sarah said, Jake, put on your big boy pants and go in there. <laughs> Her exact words. And I think it's just I struggled because you're such a wonderful, nice man as Carrie, and I didn't want to see you hurting. I couldn't bear to see you stub your toe, much less fighting for breath. And... um and I stood there and I thought, God, you got to bring him home. you got to bring him back. Not our carry. Who would have ever thought that the man we would pray for God to show mercy on would come back in here and preach to us about God's mercy? That he wouldn't just use him as a trophy for display, but to use him as a voice to come in and remind us of the greatness of God. That's a great God we serve. I uh, I know this, that I want to speak again on their behalf, if I could, to say even as if you're a non-believer and you've heard this, there's something to reflect on. And I'm sure there's some things in your mind thinking, angels, and you felt like you were floating, you felt like, even if you're a believer and you're wondering about those things, I'm going to speak very clearly from my own heart. If you have never been in a moment of traumatic loss, our desperation, our pain, you will have no idea in which, of which they speak. You just won't. But not until you are there. Not until you need it. When you've cried out, when you've lost everything that you call normal and everything that appears to be real, when you've lost all of that, is then when you are so desperate and he allows a portal of something to be seen. Some of you have seen it in moments of pain, and some of you have seen it in moments of just absolute surrender. But that's our God. He is a great and powerful God. But if you're not a believer, you don't have that. There's not that assurance. If it's bad, it's bad, and it goes to worse. As a believer, if something happens that's bad or traumatic, there's a glimpse of something we have. The word hope sounds like it's something that we aspire to have. But for us, it's a promise. And that breaks every bit of grammatical description. We have the promise of hope. What a remarkable thing. I don't know what heaven looks like. Paul, Isaiah, John, they all said it looked as if it appeared to be... I don't know. And they don't know. But they can tell you they saw something and felt something amazing. Imagine removed from any other distraction or base of security in your life. Imagine a train just loaded with people with all your friends and your family and everyone you know 
comes to a sudden stop and someone simply taps on your shoulder and says it's time to leave the train. And you get off in the middle of the field and the train pulls away. And the voices that gave so much security are now distant. The faces that were once around you are gone. And you stand there with nothing. What would you be? And who would you meet? I, for one, have learned and grasped a lot that I have much more to give. Not of my talents, but of who I am. And I think all of us in here have learned that we have more to give than our treasure. We have to give of ourselves. And so I'm going to pray. And if some of you have never received Christ before, here's an opportunity I'm going to give you. I'm not going to ask you to make it public to people you may not know. But we'll ask that if you prayed that, to see one of us pastors, but more importantly, come see Sarah and Carrie. And tell them. Let them know that this voice, this message they've been given through Christ is there. And then there's an opportunity for us as believers to just reevaluate our life. To begin to understand how much more do we have to really give with all that we have. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for a message that was preached, Father, from lives that are yours. The lives that are part of us. That, Father, we can learn so many times out of the message of our own mind uh, that we want to relay. But, Father, sometimes it comes from the heart of experience. Lord, there are those in here, I'm quite confident, who've never, Lord, really trusted you to be their Savior. Father, there's not a magical prayer. There's no one that needs to walk them through that prayer. But, Father, the give, I'll give, um, if I could just have this moment where I could just guide someone as an example. And, Father, guide them through in these words. Then the safety and the privacy of their own mind and their own heart, they can repeat these words after me. If you've never received him, here they are. Lord Jesus, I know that I've searched and I've wondered and I've had questions. No, Father, while all the questions are not answered, Lord, I know that you've been there. Father, you've been pulling me into fellowship with you. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a person who makes mistakes and that makes me a sinner. Father, I know that you have died for me, died for my sins. You died on a cross to make me free. Lord, I know that you rose again on the third day to show yourself for me, for others, to show that we can have a new life in you. Thank him right now. Lord, thank you for dying for me, forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for, Father, letting me know that you're always there. And now just simply surrender to him. And thank him. Thank thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Lord, there's another group of people in here that I will not use words, but I think those who've been walking as Christians know that, Father, each one of us has a place to grow. In the area of trust with you, in the area of sacrifice. Father, no longer just simply giving up of, of, our, of who we are and what we do on occasional times, but to really ask in every decision, Father, are we asking that you be glorified? In every discussion, Father, are we really seeking that you're glorified?
Father, in everything are we seeking thanksgiving in what you've given us. God, we have so much more to give. If a man like Carrie can stand and say, I would have been ashamed had I gone to heaven at that point. Father, how we must look within ourselves to ask, Lord, beyond our successes, beyond our pursuits, beyond those accomplishments, Father, what are we without you? Father, who are we with you? Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're not just a distant aroma or, or fragrance, but Father, you are present and real. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.